Well, good. <clears throat> good morning. We want to welcome each and every one of you this morning to Paradise Valley Christian Church. And what a joy it is to come together as the body of Christ, as many have mentioned already. Uh, obviously, again, with a, a day like today, there'll be some that uh, are not able to be with us. And so continue to lift those individuals up in your prayers, maybe even check on them, see how they are doing, if maybe they're sick or possibly if they couldn't get out of their driveway, you can help out in some way. I encourage you to do that. And, and hopefully they'll have an opportunity then to also get caught up online at pvcc.com as well as pvcc.info. If uh, you need to also get caught up on some messages, we'd love for you to go to those locations and get caught up. A couple <clears throat> weeks ago, Warren Steele uh, shared a message on this idea of us being aliens. And last week, we kind of shifted gears a little bit as we led up into Thanksgiving with the idea of maintaining an attitude of gratitude and, and what that looks like in our lives when it comes to the idea of spending time talking with Jesus. In order for us to maintain an attitude of gratitude, doing what Jesus has asked us to do, taking the time to reflect on what he's done in our life, and then also to respond by sharing with God all the many praises to him that he continues to do in our lives. And as we look back on kind of the first part of 1 Peter, uh, we've kind of gone through verse by verse so far, and we'll continue to do that in 1 Peter as we go through this sermon series on here and there. And this morning, my guess is that most of us have enjoyed the, the verses that Peter has shared with us and the challenges and the encouragement when it comes to this letter to the Christians. And when we read things like we're a royal priesthood and holy nation, you know, we all, we're like, yeah, that's right. Amen. Praise the Lord. Because we get excited about those kind of terms when we're being referred to as those things. And when you hear that you're a chosen people, that God has chosen you, that deep down you rejoice in that truth in your life. And when you read that you have an indestructible hope waiting for you in heaven, you get excited about that as well. And four weeks ago, uh, we, we heard a message on this idea of once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy through our cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And even the holiness passages stir you in your faith. They challenge you. And even though they might be passages that can be hard, you know that deep down that it's right and it's good for you. If you're joining us this morning, again, we're right in the middle kind of of 1 Peter. We're into chapter 2. And this morning we look at a, a section of scripture that maybe is not quite as exciting for you this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And at first glance, you might feel yourself pushing back against this passage. You might have all sorts of questions, or you might have a, a lot of what-if scenarios. And as Peter addresses this topic of government... We need to remember that Jesus' political views have nothing to do with any party and everything to do with his mission. Let me say that again. Jesus' political views have nothing to do with any party and everything to do with his mission. Jesus loves all Republicans, he loves all Democrats, all Tea Party members, all Green Party members, all Libertarians. He loves 
every other possible political party there is out there. Jesus isn't for one specific political party. He is for rescuing the lost. So what does scripture have to teach us this morning? Let's pray. God, this morning we ask that as we open your word that you would reveal yourself to us through this passage of scripture in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. And God, as we kind of go step by step through Peter, I pray that you would continue to challenge us, encourage us, shape us. May your Holy Spirit that is amongst us teach us. Father, where two or more are gathered, your word promises that you will be there as well. And so, God, we thank you for being here with us this morning. We do lift up in prayer those who are not with us this morning, praying safety, protection, healing. God, that you would work mightily in their lives, those who might be traveling. God, we ask that you provide safety. And so this morning, as we are here together as family, may you speak to our hearts and may we be open to your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This morning's message is entitled, The Christian, The Government, and The Good. As we look at these verses, we begin with this idea of the Christian. In verse 13, you'll see here, it's challenging us as believers in this area of government. And not only is it speaking to us this morning, but if we remember back, we remember that this book of, this letter that Peter is writing, is he's writing it to Christians that are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And again, this was not a time when everything was just going great for the Christians. There was oppression happening from the Roman rule during this time. And I'll be the first to admit this morning that I don't know a whole lot about politics. In fact, I would confess that I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to a lot of political issues However, I would say that I'm trying to improve myself in that area, but one thing that I do stay current with is God's word. And as we look at these verses today, we see there's a message for us as Christians. He's calling believers to live for Christ over living for politics. This doesn't mean Christians are to have nothing to do with politics, but that our responsibility for the gospel must come before our desires for our culture. And we cannot forget, Peter has just stated that Christians are aliens called to live holy lives that declare the excellency of God. Testifying to his character, his nature, and mission. And the key to this calling is the reminder that this earth is not our home. We're just pilgrims passing through, and as such, you could well guess that if you're believing that you are an alien here on this earth, we might have a tendency to say, well, then nothing on this earth really matters, and especially when it comes to government issues, that that I shouldn't have to answer to any earthly government, and my guess is that God anticipated such an idea. And so he inspired Peter to address a Christian's responsibility so long as they are here on earth. And so as we begin in 1 Peter chapter 2, turn over to verse 13. I'm reading from the NIV, starting in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men 
whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the king. And for many of us, the word submit, we don't like that word. It's kind of a, a dirty word to us, this word submit. And yet, for Peter, it's one of his favorite words. In fact, it dominates much of the rest of the letter. In 2.13, we read it. In 2.18, in 3.1, in 3.5, in 3.22, in 5.5. You see, this word submit from the Greek is hupatasso which is a military word meaning to put oneself under another in rank. It is an attitude of respect that results in positive obedience to authority placed over you. You see, we as Christians, we choose to put ourselves under the authority of Jesus my friend Terry Davis, uh, he used to live in Florida, currently lives in Greeley, uh, but as he, when he lived in Florida, he was part of a church that had a Christian school similar to us, and as he interacted with the youth of that area, one of the kids that he knew, his name was Nick, and Nick just wanted to go to the Christian school really, really bad. All of his friends went to the Christian school, and Nick begged his parents. He currently was going to the public school, but he was begging his parents, I want to go to the Christian school, and Nick knew that the Christian school had certain rules, had certain uh, kind of guidelines and standards, in fact, that he knew that they had a dress code, and yet he wanted to go and be a part of what was going on at the Christian school. And so the next year after Nick had begged for a year, his parents had decided that they'd willing, willingly spend the money to send Nick to the Christian school. And one of, the key, uh, one of the, the key points that Nick had troubles with going into the Christian school was a dress code rule, which seems in some way a silly rule, but it was the rule that Terry Davis shared with me was that the polo that they wore, of course, khaki pants that they had to wear as well as a polo, had to have three buttons and the, had to be buttoned up twice, had to have two buttons buttoned. Well, Nick just could not get his mind wrapped around this idea of having two buttons buttoned and that being the rule. And so one day he would go to school and he would just have one button buttoned. And of course, he would get in trouble and get a demerit most likely. And, and the next day he would come to school and he'd have three buttons buttoned all the way to the top because he was not someone that wanted to submit himself to the authority that was being placed at this school concerning the dress code. And yet Nick knew ahead of time that this was going to be required of him. You see, we as Christians, we can't say, God, I want to submit to you with all of my life, but I don't want to do certain things, God. No, it doesn't work like that. We are choosing to come under God's authority, and part of being under God's authority is the willingness to come under civil authority as well. See, Peter is calling Christians to line up under the civil authorities or laws because God has appointed them over us.
This means we're to be a law-abiding citizens, law-abiding citizens who pay our taxes, obey the laws, and show respect to governing officials. We're not to be anarchists, but faithful citizens to influence the culture for Christ. And we do so because it's God's will. We do so because our respect for our society spreads the impact of the gospel in a lost and dying world. And so as Christians, we're called in verse 13 to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Well, what sort of things come to your mind that are beneficial when it comes to the idea of government because we as Christians are here in this world until we spend eternity there in heaven and God is calling us to live lives that are faithful to him and part of that faithfulness is this idea of submitting ourselves And so what beneficial things come to your mind when it comes to our government? This this morning, uh, someone mentioned the idea of the fact that we appreciate the fact that there's roads that are plowed out there, that we can get around in some respects. What about you this morning? What are some things that come to your mind as beneficial things that come from organized government? What do you think? Police and fire department, when we think about the idea of being protected, taken care of, if something drastic takes place at your home, you have someone to rely on to come and to help. What about anybody else? Keeps order. The, the idea that there is an op- opportunity for us to live in a way that we know that there's, there's right and, and wrong and things of take place in order and, and we come to a stoplight and we know that you know, they're, they're supposed to take place. Others that if we're at the red, then they're going. If we're at the green, we get to go. You see, there's order that takes place and there's so many other things that might come to my, our minds if we're truly honest with ourselves this morning. There are many good things that come out of organized government. And we often forget that God who established and ordains and allows the governments to to take place in our world, that we forget that he's the one that that establishes those and puts them into place. And I'm not saying that God approves of all the choices made by those in authority, but what I am saying is that God is in control. He's the one that has put this into place. There isn't an earthly kingdom that rules here on this earth that rules unless God allows it to rule. You see, God is still in control. In Romans 13, verses 1 through 3, says from the New Living Translation, it says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Okay, well, do what is right, and they will honor you. 
So why has God established governments? He's done so to provide an earthly covering over his creation, to punish those who do wrong, and to commend those who do right, as we read here in these verses today. He allows government to watch over the people and to provide security and care. But what about when government doesn't function the way that it's supposed to, the way that God has intended it to? What should a Christian, what should a Christian's response be? And I would encourage us today that a Christian's response is to comply with governing authorities except where the government violates biblical morality and obedience to God. See, take for example, Nazi Germany. See, a German soldier would not be expected by God to carry out an order to murder innocent people because a maniacal man dictated it. And likewise, God does not expect his people to cower to the local government, to deny their faith and reject the truth of God. We see an example of this in the lives of Daniel as well as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you want to turn over to Daniel chapter 3, again, most likely a familiar passage for many of you this morning. But as I think about this idea of not giving in to the local government, the, the king at the time, we read in Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 16, where we read, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew who they served. They knew that they weren't going to bow down to the idols. They knew that they served one true God. And if we look back into 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, we read that we are to fear God. It doesn't say fear earthly rulers. Our only ultimate fear in this life should be the fear of dishonoring our maker, the king, over every earthly king. There are going to be times that we need to stand up and say the very same thing that Peter said in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, where it says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. And yet, even as one takes a stand, there's an appropriate way of going about it. While God wouldn't expect his people to obey the bowing down and worshiping of an idol, neither does he approve of his people taking matters into their own hands by becoming spiritual vigilantes. It's never okay to become sin to deal with sin. We need to make sure to remember that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but, our, but on our knees and in the appropriate settings with faithfulness. And at the end of the day, God is our true ruler. And Isaiah 33 verse 22 reminds us of this by saying, For the Lord is our judge. 
The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king, and it is he who will save us. I just want to take a moment to pray for our government right now. God, you are ultimately in control. And yet as we live here on this earth, God, you have put into place governments. And as we read all throughout scripture, you, you, you have used different leaders and kings and emperors to bring about the message, to bring about salvation through what took place at those different times. And I think about Jesus, the Messiah, and how at that time, the government at that time was suppressing the Jews. And, and God, you worked through those different things. And God, you will continue to do that currently and into the future because you are still the king on the one true throne. And so, Father, we lift up to you the humans that take the roles of different government officials here in America and even those around the world. Father, we pray for our president, asking that your Holy Spirit would be at work in his life, that you would give wisdom and guidance and direction. And Father, I pray as a people that we here in the United States would turn our hearts back to you, that we would submit ourselves to you in every aspect of our lives, that you would be the one God overall in our lives. So Father, we pray for those locally in our area that have roles in our government, our local government, our state government, and again, our, our national government, praying that you would work mightily in their lives, Father, that they would see you working through other believers, that they would surrender their lives to you if they have not already. So God, this morning, we know that you are at work, not only here in America, but around the world. And so, Father, we trust in you, we depend on you, and we submit to you this morning. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And as we desire to see God's will be done in government and through government, it's going to involve prayer from his people. And it's also going to require what Peter challenges us with in verse 15 through 17, which is living lives of faithfulness full of of good deeds. And this is where the good comes in. The Christian, the government, and the good. Starting in verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Show the Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. We are to be living good lives that cause the government and everyone else in the world to commend or honor those who do right. In just a moment, I'll show a news clip of four or five young boys that did some good things, and it's kind of interesting. It comes to the end of the clip, and it talks about how they might be honored. And I think about us as Christians. Are we living lives that are doing good in order that we might be honored? Or are we living lives that the government would need to punish? Let's watch a, a news clip from Canada. 
they were breathtaking moments, all captured on video. That's crazy. Just after an eight-year-old boy and his family load the Screaming Eagle chairlift, the child is dangling. His father's grasp, all that's keeping the boy from falling an estimated six meters. There was a man with a kid struggling to keep the kid in the chair um, and yelling for the operator to stop the chair. But the operator didn't hear because the music was too loud. And so the chair kept on going up and up and up. Then something incredible happens. Five young boys, just 13 and 14 years old, create a makeshift rescue trampoline. So I pointed to the net up there and I said, you go grab the net and me and Josh will go and run and get this pattern. So then I ran up behind him and helped him strip that off and then go and put it on the block, thing that blocks it off. Well, and I yelled up and I said, okay, you need to take your skis off because if you fall with your skis on, it's probably gonna be worse. And then at one point we were just, okay, you just need to trust us, you just need to drop. And so then he dropped, we caught him. Wow, they're heroes. The little boy was unharmed. He was just like kind of sitting there like on the mat, just like, his face was just like, just like, yeah. He didn't really know what to think, I don't think. Here at the District of North Vancouver, Mayor Mike Little has told Global News that the boys were creative, courageous, and heroic. He's hoping to honor them, possibly with certificates of appreciation. And I think uh, it, as we live as Christians, there's going to be times where we're going to do good things and we possibly might get a certificate. But then there's going to be times where we probably are not. But we are to be living lives that are good, that God has called us to, so that we can have an impact in the world for God. And let me ask you this, if Paradise Valley Christian Church was to disappear tomorrow, would our community know that we are gone? See, because I want Casper to be a better place because of Paradise Valley Christian Church. And I'm not talking about just as a church in our little circles, but in every area of our community. Are we having an impact for the kingdom of God? It says, by our good deeds, we are able to silence those who oppose our God. It says that there are those who are foolish and speak ignorantly. The word ignorance in the Greek is agnosian, which is, we get our word agnostic from. and refers to a willful, hostile rejection of truth, senseless, without reason. And the people in the world who slander Christians are ignorant of the truth, and we should want that to change. We should want that to change, and Peter says that that change takes place when we do good deeds. The reason Christians ought to submit to every authority is quite clear, to prove the critics of Christ wrong because of our Christ-like behavior. The word used here is to silence or to muzzle an animal, to make speechless. And I mentioned, mentioned Daniel earlier, and when I think about this theme of here, there, Daniel comes to mind because he was an Israelite in captivity. He was in exile. He, he wasn't already there. He, was, you know, he wasn't here anymore. He, he, he was there, and he wasn't part of the, the, the real community of what was going on. In fact, he was working for a pagan king. 
And it's amazing to me, as many of you know the story of Daniel, how he worked for this pagan king and he did an amazing job. And because he did such a great job, the guys that he worked with didn't enjoy that. And so they, they try to find as many things that they possibly could to accuse Daniel of. And yet they were unable to find anything. They're trying to entrap Daniel, but check out what Daniel 6 verse 4 says. It says that this, that administrators... And the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel was so trustworthy and faithful at what he did in his life that they couldn't find any corruption if you go back to 1 Peter in verse 16, it says that we are free because this world, again, is not our home. We are in Christ, but we are not to use that freedom as a cover-up for evil. We're supposed to live faithful lives for God. And so the question is, are we? As verse 12, if you back up into verse 12 of chapter 2, it says, living such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. In college, I worked for the University of Nebraska Research and Extension Center, and that sounds really amazing, like I had a really awesome job, but I mostly just did whatever they told me to do, like go out and pull stakes or move irrigation pipe, or in the winter time, I counted little tiny microscopic bugs under a microscope where you used a clicker and I pretty soon I had no clue what was bug and what was just the leaf, and I was just clicking the button. But in this job, I did the very best that I could. I wanted to do the best I could for God because they knew I was from the Bible college. In fact, a lot of them were non-Christians, and so my interactions with them were interesting at times. But it was also very interesting that at times where they were looking for more employees— they would ask me if there was anybody else at the Bible college that would be willing to come work there. And over time, three or four or five different individuals ended up working at the University of Nebraska Research and Extension Center because of the lives that we were living for God. We had an impact in the lives of the people around us because we were dependable and we were hard workers and we were trustworthy. Are we living as servants of God and doing what verse 17 calls us to do? There's four things there at the end of this passage that we're looking at today. Verse 17 says, show proper respect to everyone, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and honor the king. We can't just pick and choose who we're going to respect and honor. It says, show proper respect to everyone, no matter who they are, no matter if they're socially inclined or not, no matter if they agree with you on everything or not. It's what God has called us to do, to show proper respect to everyone. And then it says to love the brotherhood of believers. And this is kind of the next level, what God is calling us to. The world is going to know that we're Christians by our love. But it doesn't always work that way, does it? 
In fact, I, there's a story in the AP News reported back in 1997 where a football player named Eric Dotson, who was a nose guard for Mississippi State, missed a game due to a fight that he had gotten in with a teammate before practice over who was next in line to get their ankles taped. He was a big-time college football player that missed a game because of 10 stitches because he was fighting with a teammate in the locker room. And we, as Christians, need to stop fighting in the locker room because the real fight is out on the field. We're to love the brotherhood of believers. We are to fear God. We must maintain a healthy fear of God as we live for him, and we need to honor the king. And once again, the Christians at this time were facing some major persecution at the hands of Nero, the Roman king, and Peter is still calling Christians to honor the king. We today, we don't bow down to the earthly government, but what we should be doing is honoring the positions that God has ultimately put into place because God is ultimately in control. Through our civic involvement and godly witness, we take away the basis for criticism of Christianity from those who oppose it. And as the praise team comes this morning, I want to read to you what J.I. Packer once said. He said, It's a paradox of the Christian life that the more profoundly one is concerned about heaven, the more deeply one cares about God's will being done here on this earth. You see, it's this here-there struggle that goes on in our Christian life. Are we submitting ourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men? And maybe more importantly this morning, you need to answer the question in your own life, am I willing to submit my life to Jesus Christ? Have I gone all in? Have I put myself under the authority of Jesus Christ? At this time of year where we celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus, who came to this earth and died on the cross for our sins, each one of us must ask the question, are we right with God? Are we in relationship with him? Or are we outside of Christ? And if you are outside of Christ this morning, would you be willing to submit yourself to Jesus? We're going to sing a song of invitation. And if you have a decision to make this morning, we'd invite you to come as we sing. Will you stand with us?